What's the one thing you need to know to live a longer, healthier life? We're talking about it and more up next. But first... The Lady Parts Doctor podcast is a health podcast focusing on issues that affect women and those assigned female at birth. However, it is for everyone who wants to learn more about women's health. This is our safe place to talk about things that matter to you involving your spiritual, mental, and physical health. It's not medical advice. It's medical information. We talk and I give you the evidence with a little of my personal and professional experience sprinkled in. So sit back, relax, grab your water. Water, coffee, tea, wine, whatever it is that keeps you hydrated and refreshed, and let's go. Hello, and welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I am Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and I am so excited that you are joining me today because these conversations have been getting really good, and I love it when we chat. You know, we had a great conversation last week, which I'm going to get to in a moment, but first, continuing with our recognition of amazing Black women in medicine, today we are going to talk about Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Dr. Crumpler was recognized as the first African-American woman to receive a medical degree in the United States, which she received in 1864. If you can even imagine all of the hurdles that she had to overcome to be able to obtain a medical degree back when racism and sexism were not even really called racism and sexism, they just were a way of life. Dr. Crumpler made groundbreaking contributions to post-Civil War public health and even published a book on medical care for women and children. So today we are honoring Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Look her up, read more about it. She has paved the way for many of us who are in the field of medicine today. Now, about last week. So last week, I spoke with relationship therapist, Dr. Kia James, in part one of a conversation about intimacy. We followed up with an IG Live a few days later to keep the conversation going and then had a return to a conversation about vaginal scent. And that was really cool. I got to do some education and talking about the vagina versus the vulva and all of the things that make up the vaginal scent. If that piques your interest and you want to know more, you can go listen to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast from November 7th. That's when that episode, my last episode in Vaginal Scent was published. It's very entertaining. So if you missed it, go back and listen. And if you didn't miss it, but you want to be entertained and you're like, oh, I remember that, go back and listen to it again. Why not? (laughs) Dr. Kia is doing several more IG lives and webinars in preparation for her Black Marriage Week conference coming up in March, and I may be joining her for one or two more. If you missed last week, make sure to check her out on the website, therelationshipboosters.com. You can also check her out on IG at relationship underscore boosters and tune into the second part of our conversation in our next episode. Intimacy is such a huge part of our physical and mental health. And so it's really important that we develop a language to be able to talk about intimacy so we can have our needs met. Now for today's episode, February is Heart Health Awareness Month. And other than looking at the title of today's episode, when's the last time you actually thought about your heart health other than noticing a change in heart rate after, you know, maybe a workout or some kind of other vigorous activity. Do you regularly take steps to prioritize your heart health in your day-to-day routine? Do you? If your answer to those questions is never or no, you're not alone. 
heart health is something that we don't think about much in our 20s and 30s, honestly. And we first start to think about it in our 40s and 50s, and we probably regularly think about it in our 60s and beyond, should we be so blessed to make it that far. But the truth is, we should be thinking about our heart health early, much earlier. And we're best able to prevent future heart disease when we are thinking about it and taking steps for prevention earlier in our lives. According to the CDC, over 60 million women, 44%, in the United States are living with some form of heart disease. And although heart disease is the leading cause of death for women in the United States and men, only half of women realize this. And I'm working to change that statistic. And since you're listening to this episode, so are you. While many women associate heart disease with older age, some women's first concern about their hearts begins during pregnancy and postpartum. In the United States, heart disease and dysfunction and disease of the vascular system, this is known as cardiovascular disease, is the leading cause of death in pregnant women and women in the postpartum period, causing about 26.5% of U.S. pregnancy-related deaths. Non-Hispanic Black women have a 3.4 times higher risk of dying from cardiovascular disease-related pregnancy complications compared with non-Hispanic white women. These deaths are mostly due to acquired heart disease, which is basically disease that has developed over time versus congenital heart disease, which is heart disease that you were born with. This provides for an opportunity to intervene and help prevent heart disease before it starts. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Amber E. Johnson, MD. She is a distinguished assistant professor of medicine in the Department of Medicine and Section of Cardiology at the University of Chicago, renowned for her expertise in heart health and unwavering commitment to addressing racial inequities in cardiovascular care. Dr. Johnson's clinical focus emphasizes general and preventive cardiology with a special attention to women's health and gender-affirming care, which reflects her holistic approach to medicine. Medicine. Beyond her professional endeavors, she is a dedicated mother to her daughters, Leilani and Nia. Dr. Johnson gets it. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Johnson to the show. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I am so excited today to have another special guest. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Amber Johnson, cardiologist and assistant professor of medicine at the University of Chicago. Welcome to the show, Dr. Johnson. Hey, thank you for having me. Well, I am very happy that you're here because our heart health, you know, it's February and it's a month where we start actively thinking about our heart. But I'm going to say that a lot of us, especially in our younger years, we just, we don't think about our heart. We take our heart for granted because unless you're born with a congenital heart condition, so something that you're born with that affects the heart, you just expect your heart to beat regularly, to work just fine. You have no idea what symptoms of cardiovascular disease could be. And so I want to talk about that a little bit for someone who maybe doesn't ever think about their heart and is now starting to think about it. I want to talk a little bit about the risks and the symptoms of cardiovascular disease. Dr. Johnson, could you explain the unique risks and symptoms of heart disease that Black women, particularly Black women between the ages of 30 and 60, should be aware of? Yeah, certainly. Um, so the symptoms of heart disease can vary depending mm -hmm. on what condition we're talking about. 
there are lots of different conditions that can affect the heart and we just sort of lump them all together and call them heart disease. Um, what the majority of people think about when they think about heart disease is a heart attack. And so that comes from coronary artery disease. Um, the coronary arteries supply the blood flow to the heart muscle. The heart's a muscle just like any other muscle in your body. And so if it doesn't get enough blood flow, then that is what creates pain um, or a heart attack sensation. Um, mm -hmm. And so the symptoms of a heart attack may vary from person to person. In general, the way that I explain it to my patients is if you are experiencing symptoms with exertion, meaning you're walking upstairs, you're cutting, mowing the lawn, you're running the vacuum, you know, chasing after your kids, whatever the case may be, whatever um, exertional symptoms you may be experiencing, that is more consistent with heart disease. And so for different people, it might be different things. Um, the classic symptom is chest pain. So if you feel pain, you know, on the left side of your chest, uh, it feels like a gripping or a pressure. Um, oftentimes we'll say that pain will radiate. So it'll go from that area in your chest to other parts of your body, like your neck, your jaw, your arm, your back. Sometimes mm. that's the classical angina presentation. Um, however, some people might experience different symptoms, um, like nausea. A lot of my patients, especially my female patients will say that they feel nauseous, um, maybe not actually to the point of throwing up, but they might feel nauseous. Um, they might feel short of breath. They might just feel tired. Or sometimes people just feel like a weird sensation in their chest and they can't really describe it. The hard thing though, is that there are a lot of organs that are in the chest. And so um, although we take chest pain seriously, no matter what, there are other things that could cause chest pain too. So, you know, bottom line is if you're feeling unwell, if you're noticing sort of like this ache or discomfort that is coming and going or even coming and persisting, um, then that would be reason to get checked out. Yeah, that's great. I feel like, I don't know if you watch the Super Bowl, but I imagine a lot of people are feeling some of those symptoms after they were dancing to the Usher halftime <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, you know, the, I, I heard a statistic recently that the Super Bowl is the second highest eating day behind um, uh, Thanksgiving. And so, really? you know, if you're eating chili and spicy stuff and, you know, things that you shouldn't be eating, especially late at night, then that's going to cause some indigestion. Oh, yeah, because um, none of that's so, going to be you know, good. You're eating chicken wings. can mimic the symptoms of heart attack. So, you know, they call it heartburn for a reason. Yeah, that's, uh, no, that's important. I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, I'm feeling short of breath and they were up mm, dancing and moving right. around. So as we bring our focus back to some of the just health related things, one thing that we really focus on, especially, you know, I'm as an OBGYN where we do a lot of primary care because we're seeing patients for their annual visits, which is our chance to talk about everything that is going on, make sure that everything's okay, and then also ask questions about symptoms and things that might be concerning people. But it's also a very important time for us to talk about prevention. Right. So in your experience, what are the most effective lifestyle changes or just preventive measures that women in their 30s, 40s, 50s can take to just protect their health and their heart health, specifically yeah. their heart health? <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a really good question. Um, 
So a lot of heart disease is preventive. Um, as a general cardiologist, I'm also a preventive cardiologist. And so I think a lot about ways that we can modify people's lifestyle so that they don't go on to develop heart disease. That said, um, if someone does develop heart disease or um, you know, if they have a family history of heart disease and it's a genetic predisposition that kind of puts you at risk, um, that's not your fault, right? Mm-hmm. What I would love to be able to do is destigmatize heart disease and, you know, destigmatize hypertension because that's one of the biggest things that I treat, um, especially in young women, is hypertension or high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, although I do think lifestyle modification is extremely important, I do want people to realize that, you know, it's not a failure if you do go on to develop heart disease. Um, And as a matter of fact, heart disease still remains the number one killer of people in the United States. And um, the the prevalence of heart disease is increasing around the world. So that said, um, what are some things that we can do to prevent heart disease, especially in younger women? Um, Well, stay active. I know that's super hard. Um, You know, I'm talking to black women right now and I understand that, you know, exercise is not usually part of our everyday activity. Um, We got to think about our hair, right? Like I'm wearing a scarf today because my hair wasn't camera ready. (laughs) So, you know, like that, those are important aspects of of Mm -hmm. our lives that we have to think about is um, how does exercise impact the rest of our day? Um, Do we have time for exercise? Do we have a safe place to exercise? You know, some people can just go out and go for a run, but not everybody has that luxury Mm -hmm. Um, or even go for a walk, not even a run. Um, But physical activity is super important. The American Heart Association recommends 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week. So what does that mean? That means five days a week, I'm doing 30 minutes of getting out and walking or 30 minutes on a treadmill or 30 minutes on my Peloton or, you know, whatever options I have, swimming, um, aerobic activities, anything that's going to get your heart rate up and your respiratory rate up. Those are things that help keep the body healthy, particularly the heart healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to physical activity, uh, one of the other important things is what we eat, our diet. Yes. Um, diet is also a loaded conversation, too, I know, um, mm-hmm. especially when we're thinking about different cultural um, things that might want to lead us to eat a certain type of diet versus not. Um a lot of times my black and brown patients that I see, I have to counsel them about the sodium content, the mm-hmm. salt that's in their diet, because that really does drive high blood pressure um, that drives fluid retention as well. So if your body takes in a lot of sodium, it's going to want to hold on to water. And so that leads to fluid retention. Um, so a heart healthy diet is something that consists of lots of fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, whole grains and is low on um, certain types of protein, such as red meat or fatty meats. Um, Lunch meat, for example, although it's convenient, you know, just going to grab a sandwich, you know, going to Subway or whatever the case may be, um, it's unhealthy because of the salt content. And also just if you're eating red meat that's unhealthy, it helps your body, it causes your body to hold on to more cholesterol. And we know that cholesterol leads to heart disease. Yeah. I, I love that you mentioned that because our main focus is as 
physicians, when we give recommendations, is really giving recommendations that work within your lifestyle, recognizing that everything does not work for everybody. I also love that you brought up Subway because (laughs) many a thing is marketed like Mm. it is healthy for you. And then, you know, then when you really get in and read about it and do a little more research, you realize, okay, that might not be the healthiest option for me. Um, I know I'm sure some people hear that and they're like, well, with inflation and everything that's going on, Mm. it's really hard to have a fresh diet. And that's something that, you know, we understand and that really you're just trying to pick the better option. And sometimes maybe both of your options aren't amazing, but you're always trying to pick the better option for your health. So I think that's such a great point and important thing to to mention. With, as an OBGYN, you know, I... I am not as well-versed, obviously, in heart health, but we talk to patients a lot, especially during pregnancy, because that may be the first time for many women where they actually start to think about heart health due to so many of the changes that happen within the body during that transition. But menopause is another major heart, uh, another major transition in a woman's life and really affects the heart health as well. Can you discuss just menopausal changes that affect heart health and what steps that can be taken to kind of decrease any risks associated with heart health during menopause? Certainly. Um, So I will say that, you know, you sort of led into the question saying that you're not as familiar with heart disease. Well, we're all still learning, right? Like Mm -hmm. one of the things that I love about being a physician is that I'm always learning something new. And Mm so one of the things that I have started to incorporate into my practice more is asking my female patients about their menopause transition. I ask about their um, pregnancy history, and then I also ask about, are they still menstruating? Are they, have they gone into menopause yet? And at what age? Um, because we know that the longer the duration that you are in menopause, the higher your risk for heart disease. And basically, um, the the reason why I think that is, is because if we think about estrogen as a protective factor, helping people to have less heart disease, when you lose the estrogen, then your risk increases. And mm-hmm. so it becomes more on par with that of men of a similar age. So, you know, if you're going to match a 50-year-old woman to a 50-year-old man, then their risk might be lower. The woman's risk might be lower if she hasn't gone through menopause yet. However, if she's already gone through menopause, then her risk is probably more uh, on par with that of a man. And so the reason why is very complicated as to, you know, why estrogen is protective or, you know, what happens. But I think it has a lot to do with the way that your body metabolizes cholesterol. Again, going Mm -hmm. back to cholesterol, Um, that increases your risk of developing coronary artery disease. And so, like I said, I asked my my female patients at what age did they go through menopause? um, Because that helps me to kind of think about, um, you know, putting their their risk into different categories. Um, And then I also, I I think about whether or not they've had hormone replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of talk, debate about hormone replacement therapy. And if you follow the details over the course of, you know, the past couple decades, sometimes they'll say the risk goes up. Sometimes they'll say the risk goes down and it's not really clear. I really think the bottom line, though, is a short duration of hormone replacement therapy. So, you know, for 
those who are not familiar, it's, you know, if you have gone through menopause or you're going through menopause and you're having symptoms, you can sometimes take therapy, um, which gives you back some of those hormones. So it decreases the symptoms of menopause that you might feeling, you might be feeling. So hormone replacement therapy in and of itself is not bad. If you're using it for a short duration to, to mitigate, to take care of those um, symptoms that you're feeling from menopause, that's fine. Um, however, if you're on hormone replacement therapy for a long duration, so we're talking like 10 years, then that is going to increase your risk of developing heart disease. It also increases your risk of developing blood clots. So like um, a blood mm-hmm. clot in the lung or, or PE, pulmonary embolism. So um, those are the risks that develop, but it's really if you're, if you're on it for a long duration. Um, so for most of my patients, if they are going through menopause, if they're experiencing symptoms, um, then, you know, for sure, go ahead and take the hormone replacement therapy if that is something that you've come to an agreement with with your doctor who's prescribing it. The other thing that um, can happen with menopause, um, along with those symptoms, is if you're losing sleep, less sleep can increase your risk of heart disease. There's been a lot mm. more focus on the importance of sleep um, as it affects the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, just otherwise, like, feelings of anxiety or any mental health, any mental changes that may be happening during that transition, we know that that can affect um, your risk of developing heart disease as well. Yeah, that's really helpful to know. I think we're talking a lot more about menopause finally, which is great. And so these are definitely questions that people will have as they're making that transition. So it's always helpful to have a a little extra knowledge, a little extra information. And another reason to tell people that your sleep is important. (laughs) And I guess one other thing to just to kind of bring it back to um, young black women is Mm -hmm. that I tend to find as I'm asking this question more, I tend to find that my black female patients tend to have menopause at earlier ages. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's something that you see too, Dr. Hack, but um, you know, I think that if we're, if you're having menopause in your thirties, your forties, then that, increases your risk of heart disease just because you're at a longer duration of not having estrogen. Yeah, I haven't seen that specifically, but I think that's another great point. I mean, anecdotally, I can say yes. Um, But when I kind of think back on a whole, I haven't quite seen that trend. So it's definitely something I should actually go look it up. Yeah, it was something to keep an eye on. There are some data to suggest that Black women have um, menopause earlier. And then I Mm -hmm. I see it when I ask my patients too. Yeah. Mm If you are enjoying this episode, and I know that you are because there is so much great information here, please pause and wherever you are listening, leave a five-star review. That helps people know that we are having these conversations and that this is the kind of conversation that would be beneficial and that they want to participate in. And if you're feeling a little extra fancy, you want to do a little bit more, leave a positive review and comment and say what it is that you enjoyed about the episode. This is also helpful for me because I read these reviews and I can go back and make sure that we continue to deliver more of the content that you want. All right, back to the show. And I think we've kind of touched upon this, but you know, you do a lot of work in health disparities and access to care. And we've kind of talked about that at different points throughout this conversation. So given your work on health disparities and other things that you've seen, what challenges 
do Black women face in accessing quality cardiac care? And what do you think can be done to improve this access? Like I know one thing that people always ask me, and maybe they ask you too, but people are always asking me for providers. And do I know other Black female mm-hmm. OBGYNs? Right. Um, so what do you think can be done to improve access? Yeah. So there's a lot to it, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So access, accessing cardiologists can be challenging for several reasons. Um, one is that um, if someone's not getting a referral, so mm-hmm. a lot of referral-based care means that your primary doctor or you know some other doctor that you're seeing regularly has to put in the consult for you to see a cardiologist. And so, you know, in my clinic, uh, the majority of patients that I see have been referred to me from a colleague, from a a primary care doctor or, you know, some other specialist. Um, However, we know that there are disparities in referral. So um, Black people are less likely to be referred to see a subspecialty physician. Um, Why is that? Well, it could be possibly bias on the part of the physician, the referring physician, um, maybe because that person doesn't think that the patient would warrant a referral for whatever reason, like Mm -hmm. so many hosts of reasons, right? Like who knows? Um, It could be perhaps that the symptoms that the person is presenting with, you know, we we, we started off talking about symptoms, maybe the symptoms that the person is describing don't really match what someone might think is a classical cardiac cardiac condition. And so, you know, maybe that's why they're not being referred. It may also have to do with insurance coverage. Mm -hmm. So seeing a specialty physician is not cheap. Your Mm -hmm. insurance covers a certain portion of it, but then, you know, there's some cost that has to come out of pocket. And so if there aren't criteria that are met so that insurance will cover it, then, you know, it might be too expensive. Um, And I I think about this in my own practice when I'm telling people to come back to see me, you know, I think like, should I bring you back in three months? Can it wait to six months, a year? Like how frequently do I need to see these patients in clinic? And, and, you know, how much can be done between those clinic visits? So, you know, if it's a matter of just like having to call you and follow up, if that saves you having to come in to see me, you know, just the physical transportation and, you know, all of these other logistics plus the financials, then, you know, I try to give my patients a little bit more leeway. Um, so referral is a huge portion of it. We talked about access. Um, so access, accessing a physician who is mindful of all of these social determinants of health mm-hmm. is a challenge, right? Like there's the, the, <laughs> I like I don't I don't want to talk about like you know I don't want to get into the weeds but I could like I have stories that I could tell and I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm hold sure. back from like <laughs> getting we'll do that on another trouble, podcast right? episode but um so yeah I mean there are a lot of factors with as you choose your doctor if you have a choice of who you see a lot of people would prefer to see someone that they can identify with in one way or another. If mm-hmm. it's a woman and you want to see another female physician, if it's if you're black and you want to see somebody black, if you speak Spanish and you want to see somebody that speaks Spanish. And so, like, there are a lot of different criteria that we would love to have concordance with. Right. When we mm-hmm. see what between the physician and the patient. Um, and we know that when there are some levels of concordance, be it race, 
gender, language, that the care improves. Um, The trouble, though, is there's not a lot of Black female cardiologists out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's a good portion of them and I tend to know all of them. And I think, you know, I'm biased because I'm like, oh yeah, I can name a whole bunch, but mm-hmm. like, I probably can name like all of them who exist in the United States because there's mm-hmm. not a lot of us. Um, and so that's the problem. Um, I think I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about diversification of the workforce and, you know, how do we get staff, physicians, administrators who are more diverse and reflective of the populations that they serve, um, I think is um, very important. And I think that there are strategies that we can come up with at an educational level, but also policy level things um, that need to be implemented so that we could have a more diverse physician workforce. Yeah. I want to piggyback on that for the listeners and just also say like this is why the why representation matters so much in research yeah because we have found and even you know I'll give an OBGYN example um we find that things present differently or and we use guidelines to determine okay who needs to be referred and who can right. we continue to watch and if people of color, if Black women aren't represented in the guidelines, then Mm -hmm. we are developing guidelines that are used to identify other people and won't necessarily find the Black woman who has this specific issue. So we really need people to participate in the research so we can develop guidelines that will help everyone and identify everyone, or at least specifically to be able to say in this population, we right. use this guideline for this reason and this population, um, which, you know, I kind of hesitate to say that because we're moving away from some of the guidelines from the past right, right, right. <laughs> because they, they did not serve everyone like um, the glomerular filtration rate, for example, mm, in kidney yeah, disease yeah, and, and black race based right. um, calculations. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to add a little bit to that. So Mm -hmm. another thing that people always want to talk about now, especially as we talk about prevention, is we know that diet, as you mentioned, diet is such a huge portion of all of our health, but also in cardiovascular health. I know I always see articles come across my feed like, I'm a cardiologist and I would never eat these five things. Or we interviewed cardiologists and they say, if you want a healthy heart, you need to eat these three things. Uh Uh-huh. With the role of diet and nutrition for heart health, can you just share some nutrition tips that would be beneficial for Black women in preventing heart disease or just to help? I know you touched on this a little bit before when you talked about a heart-healthy diet. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think anything in moderation, you know, I want to take a practical approach, right? Like, I would say anything in moderation is probably fine. Um. Because if you get to the point where you're saying like, absolutely no X, then, you know, that, that sometimes becomes hard to stick to. Um, Or, you know, a lot of these fad diets that come out and people lose a lot of weight. um, One, they're hard to maintain, but then also there's probably some unhealthy aspects to it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You're thinking like the... the, um... One of the things that I'm thinking of in particular that I Uh think is unhealthy is a ketogenic diet. Yes. (laughs) Um, The reason why, and it's great if it helps you to lose weight, like that's fantastic. However, 
Um, you know, like I was t- um, talking about before, just like the fat content and the mm-hmm. cholesterol content and, um, you know, having sources of protein that are more unhealthy, that is ketogenic in a nutshell, right? Because all you're doing is just like piling on the fats and the meats and you're cutting carbs. Um, and that is what helps you to lose weight. But we know that a ketogenic diet increases your risk of coronary artery disease. It makes mm-hmm. it gives you a worse cholesterol profile. Um, so what I would suggest is carbs are fine. I can't survive. I personally cannot survive without carbs. Me so neither. <laughs> I would I would not tell anyone to like completely cut carbs from their diet. But we know that there are healthier types of carbs, right? So instead of refined sugar, instead of, you know, white sugar in your diet or, um, you know, white bread, like white pasta, you can incorporate things that have more whole grains. So like whole wheat pastas or um, whole wheat breads, um, different types of grains like um, farro or quinoa. Those types of grains are healthier for our heart, healthier for our digestive mm-hmm. systems, and um, they can help you cut the, the carb content, um, you know, the, the glucose content, the sugar that you're getting in your diet. Um, other things that are really super important are fresh fruits, fresh vegetables. Again, mm. you know, I want to be mindful and, and pragmatic about like how I'm making this recommendation because not everyone has access to you know, whole foods, not everybody has whole foods money, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like we mentioned earlier, we're in a recession, or maybe I don't know, they they tell us we're not in a recession. But like with costs being what they are, a more affordable way to get fruits and vegetables in your diet is if you consider frozen Mm -hmm. fruits and vegetables. So if you go, you know, in the freezer aisle, Um, If you get a bag of frozen corn or green beans, like those are going to be a lot cheaper, honestly, Mm -hmm. than if you were to buy it fresh. And plus, they last longer. Um, Mm -hmm. You're not going to be throwing away the stuff after it goes bad in your refrigerator. Um, What you do need to be mindful, though, of is, again, the salt content. So a lot of times frozen vegetables will not have any salt added. Canned vegetables tend to have salt added. So, you know, think about that. Um, If you are buying canned produce, um, canned vegetables, try to rinse off the extra salt before Mm. you cook it. That's such a simple thing, but that's such a great tip. Yeah. Yeah. Just drain it, rinse it off. And, um, you know, again, thinking about like cultural aspects and like the flavor profiles that we prefer, you don't have to salt things to season it, right? Like you can give things good flavor without adding the sodium content. And so thinking about like herbs and spices and, mm-hmm. um, you know, other options to give um, your your food some good flavor as opposed to adding salt. Yeah. A little lemon on top, yeah. just a little extra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I, I agree. It's like, I'm listening to you and I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I sit here and I think about what's in my pantry. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, for sure. I mean, those canned vegetables, like they last a long time. So like they might stay in your pantry for a while, but, um, you know, I need to go grocery shopping this afternoon. So I'm going to be thinking a lot about whole grains, fresh vegetables. Um, I don't eat red meat. That's something okay. personally that I've chosen to, you know, completely mm. eliminate red meat. I was a vegetarian for a long time, mm-hmm. um, but then I got back to eating 
chicken, turkey, and seafood. And so that's where my protein comes from. Um, Also, I like tofu. (laughs) Some folks don't. I personally do. Like if you season it right, it tastes good. Um, And so that's where I get my protein from. Um, And so, you know, just being mindful about small changes that you can make and maintain um, is, is what's important. I like that. And maybe just doing a little bit at a time. Cause I think right. I have a pantry, I have a house full of pasta lovers. Like my yeah. husband grew up in South Jersey. They ate pasta. Yeah. And my kids. And a lot of times the kids, right? Like if you have children, pasta. like it's so hard to cook for everybody and still try to like keep it healthy. It is. And so I'm just like, all right, thinking that sometimes you just have to make like one change at a time. You don't have right. to go and try to do everything all at once, but just do one change at a time. And then over time, you'll look back and you'll say, okay, I've made changes that at least make me feel comfortable right. and happy with what I'm doing for heart health. So yeah. I'm, I'm still thinking about it. I'm like, okay, I guess I need to buy some whole grain <laughs> pasta. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just sneak it in there. Don't even tell them that you're doing it. <laughs> oh, you know, you have, if the sauce they will is know. right, then... <laughs> They will know. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other things then, you know, we've talked so much about prevention, um, which is, I think, the most important part because we want to catch people before before they get to a point where they need intervention, if possible. How do we recognize and respond to heart emergencies? So, you know, you talked about the angina, the chest pain and the feeling of radiation. And we also recognize that those symptoms present differently in different groups of people. So what are the key signs of a heart attack or other cardiac emergencies that Black women should really be aware of? And then as a follow-up to that, in the event that they experience that, what immediate steps should they take in those conditions or excuse me, in those situations? Yeah. Um, so as you were asking the question, there were a lot of things that I was, that were coming to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the classical, I'm having a heart attack, having angina, that is definitely a reason to to seek help, to call 911. Like don't drive yourself to the hospital, like let somebody else get you there. Um, or, you know, even go by ambulance if it comes down to it. Um, so having a heart attack, having chest pain that, you know, won't remit, um, that is, um, an emergency. Mm, So that won't go away. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, other things that can present as cardiac emergencies would be a heart arrhythmia. So if your heart is not beating properly, um, if it beats out of sync too fast or too slow, those things can be an emergency. How would um, someone know this, that? Like, Yeah. So the symptoms that you might feel is you might feel what's called palpitations. Like you could feel like your heart is fluttering in your chest or you might feel your heart skipping a beat. Now, you know, I, I am saying that, you know, definitely present uh, to the emergency room, you know, have somebody call 911. However, we do know that there's a spectrum of heart arrhythmias. So sometimes, oftentimes, more often than not, actually, it's benign, meaning like you have an occasional skipped beat, no big deal. A lot of people have it, no big deal. However, there can be some arrhythmias, some irregular heart rhythms that are lethal. And so you as the patient, you might not know which one is lethal and which one is not, right? You just know you're not feeling well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't, I would say, don't try to like, you know, 
logic your way out of it or like try to think about like, okay, well, I need to do these other things first before I take care of my own health. Like you should prioritize yourself um, in the event of your, if you're having a heart emergency. Um, So other symptoms that you might feel, it might be like the palpitation, skipped heartbeat, fluttering in your chest, passing out can also be a sign of a cardiac problem, a heart problem. Sometimes passing out, like I said, you know, there's a whole spectrum, right? Sometimes passing out could be relatively benign. Maybe you you didn't drink enough fluids Mm -hmm. Um, or it could be something very serious. And so, you know, if you're experiencing symptoms, bottom line, seek care, have someone take you to the emergency room or, you know, at the very least, um, you know, let your primary doctor know that you're having some symptoms and that you want to be evaluated. Um, you know, I hate to have to say this, but sometimes you do have to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the yes. reason why I hate having to say it is because, you know, sometimes the way that we advocate for ourselves may come across as unwelcome on the part of the physician, right? Mm-hmm. So there are ways to advocate for yourself without being too aggressive. There is a such thing as being too aggressive. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to fall into that like angry black woman trope because Mm -hmm. that's not what I'm saying. But um, as a physician, I've been in the place where people are, you know, demanding things or yelling or, you know, becoming upset. And that doesn't really help, right? Ways that you can advocate for yourself is maybe not even advocate for yourself, but have an advocate with you, you know, like Mm -hmm. have your mom come with you or have your spouse come with you to your appointment. And I think that helps to kind of get the point across, like we're concerned, we need some evaluation. Um, Also, you know, coming prepared, if you're, if you're coming to a doctor's visit, coming prepared with um, what symptoms you're feeling, what things make it worse, um, what things make it better. Um, you know, if it's a matter of like having to write it down so you can have a list and, you know, so you don't forget anything, um, then, then that is what you need to do. Like I've gone to the doctor myself and I'll leave saying like, oh, darn it. I forgot to say whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you want to come prepared so that you don't forget anything. You don't miss anything. And I think that that is helpful to, um, communicate to your physician, your primary doctor, you know, your PCP, whomever it is that you're speaking with, your healthcare professional, to communicate to them what your symptoms are, um, what you're concerned about, the treatments that you've tried, um, mm-hmm. and kind of give a timeline of, of when these things have happened. I love that. We talk a lot about advocacy and consent here, and you have echoed many of the same things. Yes. And I agree. I hate to have to say that. But on a busy day, your doctor is seeing many, many people. And I right. will tell you, if you come in with your list, like, Interacting with someone who seems like they know what they're talking about is often going to get you a more engaged physician interaction than coming in and being not very sure. And I'm not really sure how long and I'm not sure Then it doesn't seem like it's as important. Right. If you know, and and it might not be the case, you know, it could be very important, but that makes a big difference. So is there, oh, go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, you know, and I don't want to put the burden completely on the patients. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's some variability in the doctors that you're going to receive, right? That's like, right. you know, some mm-hmm. of them are really excellent communicators and they can pull out details that like you weren't, you didn't think were important or you didn't think were relevant. 
Mm-hmm. So sometimes we're good at that. We're good at like really having that um, connection with the patient. Um, concordance, going back to like, if your patient and, and doctor are both black, or if you're both females, like maybe you have a higher, a better level of communication, but just mm-hmm. know that not all doctors are blessed with that ability. Right. So, um, you know, don't assume that they're going to ask you every single relevant question. Don't assume that they're going to know what the answer is. Um, because sometimes they don't. Sometimes you you really do have to provide the information so that they can better understand what's happening. Right. And even your good doctor can have an off day. Yeah. You know, so is there anything else that you would like women, would like Black women to know about their heart health? Um, so one of the things that we didn't really talk about is family history. I do Mm -hmm. think that that's really important. Um, family history as it relates to, you know, mom, dad, sister, brother, grandparents, did they have heart disease? Um, so becoming knowledgeable about that. I think some families have a tendency to not talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to say that, you know, it's only black people who don't do it. Like I've, mm-hmm. I found it in a number of different patients, but like knowing what your family history is, is very important. Knowing not only did they have if they had heart disease, but if they had, you know, different types of cancer or kidney disease or, you know, whatever the case may be. And if you could get a little bit of information about what that was, I know sometimes it's hard, but like I'll ask my patient, you know, any family history of heart disease and they'll say yes. And I'll say, okay, well, tell me more about that. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like if you can get some details about it, that would be awesome. Um, So knowing your family history and then also knowing your own personal number. So knowing what your blood pressure is, following Mm. your blood pressure. Certainly if you've ever had a baby, so this is for the black women out there and, you know, any other um, race women, just for the women out there. Like if you've had children, know if you've had any complications during your pregnancy, like if you had high blood pressure, Mm -hmm. that's important to, you know, save that detail because it may become relevant later. We know that women who have had hypertensive diseases of pregnancy, hypertensive disorders of pregnancy are at higher risk of developing heart disease in the future. Mm-hmm. If you had gestational diabetes, you're mm-hmm. at higher risk of developing heart disease in the future. And so that's all the more reason to keep track of your blood pressure on a daily basis uh, or, you know, at least weekly, every once in a while, check your blood pressure at home. Um, so that's something that I advocate that I recommend to a lot of my patients is that they, they keep track of their blood pressure. Um, get your cholesterol checked every few years, keep track of those numbers too, because that's going to help you as you are um, trying to prevent the development of heart disease. I love that. This is such a great conversation. This is such important information. I know there's so much to talk about and we packed a lot of it into (laughs) a brief conversation, but I think that this is really going to get people to think more about their heart health on a daily basis, which is kind of the point. We want you to think about your heart, not just in February during Heart Health Awareness Month, but like every month of the year, even though we're talking about it in February. Yeah. Of course. So thank you very much, Dr. Johnson, for joining us on the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to hear more from Dr. Johnson, you can follow her on Twitter where she can be found with the handle Amber Johnson, MD. Of course, 
If we haven't already, make sure you connect with me too. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, the newsletter at ladypartsdoctor.com to be the first to know about the resources and offerings available at Lady Parts Doctor and subscribe to the YouTube channel at Lady Parts Doctor. Also, follow me on TikTok, IG, or threads at Lady Parts Doc, where you can message stories, questions, and ideas for upcoming episodes. It's really a great place for us to connect and for me to know what's on your mind so we can talk about it more. And if it's not your style, if you're like, ah, I don't do social media, you can always email me at drhack, D-R-H-A-C-K, at ladypartsdoctor.com. Next week, we'll be finishing our conversation with Dr. Kia James, our relationship therapist friend, discussing how partners support one another in mental health crisis and more. I hope you have a safe, fabulous week and your affirmation for today, I did not forget. Your affirmation for today is, my heart is healthy and strong because I prioritize my heart health. My heart is healthy and strong because I prioritize my heart health. Until next time.